from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who I could. not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. And we got good for each other. This is The Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, July 20th, if you'll believe it. Just four days away from the MLB season opening. The truncated 60-game season, but still season nonetheless. And five days away from the Mariners opening up their season in Houston, Texas uh, against the Astros. We'll hear from Scott Service later in this hour, but biggest story over the weekend, NFL players taking to Twitter on Sunday in an effort to uh, coordinate, at least publicly coordinated effort to let the NFL know that they need to listen to the health and safety experts and concerns uh, that they have about training camps and opening this season amid the coronavirus pandemic, stressing that they still don't have a lot of answers to the questions that they need with training camps, a lot of teams scheduled to report on the 28th and rookies scheduled to report before that. So we'll discuss what the players want from this and how they could end up filing a grievance, what the stipulations of that would be. It's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. As I mentioned, NFL players taking to Twitter on Sunday in a coordinated effort to urge the NFL to listen to its experts' guidelines on safety and opening training camps in a health and safety, a safe way, excuse me, I can speak this morning, amid the coronavirus pandemic. Many of them use the hashtag, hashtag we want to play. The idea for the tweets came from Miami Dolphins cornerback Byron Jones. He made the suggestion on one of the many uh, internal planning calls that they have had, but this one coming on Sunday, the NFLPA said Association President J.C. Treader's tweet would serve as its statement and he tweeted out quote what you are seeing today is our guys standing up for each other and for the work their union leadership has done to keep everyone as safe as possible the nfl needs to listen to our union and adopt the experts recommendations hashtag we want to play among the players who tweeted out uh that includes seattle seahawks quarterback russell wilson and russ tweeting out quote i am concerned my wife is pregnant nfl training camp is about to start and there's still no clear plan on player health and family safety we want to play football, but we also want to protect our loved our loved ones. He wrote. Other players making their voice heard Sunday on Twitter: Patrick Mahomes, Richard Sherman, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, J.J. Watt, Todd Gurley, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, just to name a few. Um, also, New Orleans Saints Michael Thomas urging NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to follow the example of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver in bringing football back safely. Cleveland Browns Miles Garrett was also among the players to say that they're. Might not be a season if the NFL doesn't take safety seriously. Sam Ocho, NFLPA executive committee member, he spoke to ESPN Radio yesterday uh, yesterday to talk about what the players' message is. I think the message is simple without sounding sarcastic. We really do want to play. I think for the longest time, the players have been expecting to play and hoping to play. And the NFL has been really delaying in negotiations trying to put pressure tactics to force the players to play in unhealthy and unsafe conditions and also to take a huge revenue cut. And so I think the message you're hearing is simple. Players want to play, and so we're asking, waiting, hoping that the NFL will hold up their end of the bargain and provide us a safe working environment. This was in a couple of the tweets uh, that I saw yesterday, but 
the fact that uh, some players believe the NFL doesn't want to listen to their own health experts. We've been negotiating with the NFL for months, for months and months. We've actually got a, a joint committee of health experts chosen by the NFL, right? And some of them chosen by the NFLPA as well. And the health experts have agreed to certain protocols that we should all follow in order to continue to play football in a safe way. And the NFL has, has said, no, we're not going to follow those agreements. Essentially is what happened. And so that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing, you're seeing the NFL ignore, completely ignore the doctors who they've uh, hired, uh, number one. And they're saying, well, you know what? I feel like two, three, two preseason games are better. So let's just throw out two preseason, preseason games, even though the doctors said no. They're saying, you know what? Let's just figure out a, a way to get out there, even though there's no um, health protocols that have been set. Just, just figure it out. It's almost like sending out the lambs out to slaughter. And, and, and we have said from the beginning, we want to play Let's figure it out now at the very last minute the NFL is trying to put pressure and say, um, say that y'all are going to report no matter what, and that's not the case. On Wednesday, the NFLPA's executive committee held a conference call with about 50 of its highest-profile players to let them know where things stand ahead of training camp. But the need for clarity on the NFL's plan for player health and safety was apparent. A lot of concerns expressed then. On Saturday, the NFL sent an email to each team informing them that training camp would, in fact, start on time But again, players still with so many questions. Among the NFLPA's requests to the NFL, they still want daily testing, no preseason games, and then an extended ramp-up period, 21 days of strength and conditioning, 10 days of non-padded practices, and 14 days of, quote, contact acclimation once they report to camp. Sam Acho, again, saying NFL owners have mostly ignored the players' proposals. We've been meeting, trying to meet with owners. We actually sent a proposal a couple days ago addressing every single concern, and their counterproposal was addressing maybe one out of the ten of our concerns, pretty much ignore nine of them. And so um, we're hoping to get another meeting with the owners uh, probably the next day or two. We received another counter I think, late last night. I'm once again going to the point of the 11th hour, and so we're going to get another meeting um, later on this week and continue to meet. We're available, ready, and willing to meet in order to get something done. Pre-agent offensive tackle Marshall Newhouse also speaking to ESPN Radio as well and talked about how players feel a little bit paranoid because of they don't feel owners care about their health and safety. There's just a little bit of a hair on the back of our neck about, hey, they're asking us to report at the latest to 28th, and there are things that we've asked for um, or we haven't even come to an agreement on about simple health, not simple, but legitimate health protocol concerns for the workplace both related to compensation and safety uh, for the players and everyone they'll be in contact with. So uh, one's feeling the heat as far as, like, we want to see football happen in as safe an environment as possible, but we'd like to know the risks before we step into the arena as best we can. As I mentioned, Sam Ocho saying the NFLPA received a counterproposal from the NFL on Saturday night, but still the league hasn't addressed most of the players' concerns and ignoring the advice of the doctors uh, that it came – that it hired to come up with a plan to safely start the season, a big point of contention. So what are the players' main priorities as of now, according to Otro? The number one priority for the players is our health and safety. And here's what I mean by that. As of now, if there, if there was an outbreak of COVID during training camp, an outbreak for an entire team or many teams, there's no system in place for us to get back to being safe. The only way that games get canceled is, is if Roger Goodell says, I'm going to cancel games. That's the only way right now. There's no doctors we can listen to. There's no system. There's no um, percentage that says if this many players get, get COVID or if this type of outbreak occurs, there's nothing like that in place. Um, and so we've been asking the ownership to say, put something in place. Give us a system. Give us a, 
uh, a plan that says, um, here's what will happen. Here's how games will get canceled or delayed. Here's our plan. And, they, and, and so that's not in place. And that's probably issue number one, um, hands down. And secondly, not too far behind it is the issue of, of finances. So the NFL is asking the players to take the full brunt of the financial loss of COVID. That's the players to decrease their salary cap all in this year alone. And so if a player is going to make, let's say, uh, on a, on a you know, $500,000 contract, now all of a sudden he's getting 30 or 40% less. A player's make on a $2 million contract, now all of a sudden he's getting, instead of $2 million, he's getting maybe $1.2. Um, now you can't sign as many players as you would before. And so it's simple. Number one, uh, health and safety. It can't just be the commissioner deciding on a whim when, when the season gets canceled or games get canceled. And number two, uh, the players cannot bear, bear both the full brunt of the health concerns and also the financial concerns. According to the collective bargaining agreement, players who do not report to training camp could be subject to fines, forfeiture of bonuses and salary and the loss of an accrued season, which uh, many believe that the NFL is using to strong arm the players into showing up. Jeff Schwartz, who we've had on this station several times, a great guest, uh, the former NFL lineman talking on Sirius XM or on ESPN radio, excuse me, about uh, his belief. In the end, and this is what the NFL knows, is that players have to show up. Right. I think players have realized the last couple of days as the NFL has set forth the preseason schedule that I don't know how much power they have to not show up. I know they can file agreements, mm-hmm. but you know, as we've seen today unfold, there's been this infectious disease plan has now been has now come out from the NFL, sent to all the teams and and, and the union. So like that's another check kind of like, oh the NFL did that. And so it's you know, it's gonna be hard to win agreements if you're the players as the NFL continues to put forth uh, pr- proposals and safety protocols into place. So the players know, I think, they have to show up or they don't get paid. And that's something they came to a realization about a week ago. And I think that that's kind of fueling a lot of the social media movement now to kind of get the public on their side because they know that whether or not they really have protocols in place, they kind of have to show up. Coming up next on The Blitz, if the players did decide the union decided to file a grievance, how would that work and why there might be a divide between rookies and veterans. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, July 20th. Talking this hour about the players' barrage of tweets yesterday, a creating a unified front using the hashtag we want to play, making it clear that they do in fact want to play this season, but they have concerns, serious concerns over the health and safety protocols and want the NFL to negotiate with them on those. According to the collective bargaining agreement, players who do not report to training camp could be subject to fines, forfeiture of bonuses and salary, and the loss of an accrued season. Marshall Newhouse, who is currently a free agent, but he was talking to ESPN Radio yesterday on how the owners are using this CBA against players. We just came off of a CBA negotiation, and in that CBA negotiation that's agreed to, I I voted no on it, but you know the league was pretty much split. There was not a you know an overwhelming majority or anything like that, but mm-hmm. we agreed to the CBA, and in those stipulations, they made it the penalty for missing uh, training camp practices. They made that penalty as harsh as it has ever been. And rolling that into these things, they understand that there's a certain amount of leverage that comes with that mm-hmm. where, yeah, we can kind of drag our feet and take our time with this because we know guys have to show up or we're going to start taxing them. And there's and there's only thing that we can say is that, hey, we just signed the CBA. So, yeah, they can kind of tax us. It's not right, 
you think with someone who has their best interests at heart, they wouldn't agree to that, but that's just not how this game works. So usually when things like that happen, someone's trying to be a little subversive uh, and not give the full uh, breadth of the situation. They're trying to withhold a little bit because this is eventually just a leverage game at the end of the day. The barrage of tweets could be a precursor to the NFLPA filing a grievance over unsafe working conditions. The union is reportedly prepared to file that grievance, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. But what happens when rookies report will help determine if that happens. Here's Jeremy Fowler explaining. It all works around a potential grievance filed from the NFLPA over unsafe working conditions. If they go that route, if rookies show up this week and they feel like there are too many positive tests, or the situation is not ideal for those young players in the Houston Texans camp, Kansas City Chiefs, wherever, then the PA could file this grievance, and then things sort of shut down. It buys some veteran players some time because they don't have to report until around July 28th. So it would expedite the negotiation. That would be the goal from the player side because they feel like the NFL is sort of running the clock out on them here, just trying to get to the very last minute before they have to do anything. So if during that grievance they can't work out some of their issues, that's when maybe players would say, look, we're just not going to show up for now, go on a mini strike, and then you have the, not only the preseason at stake, but week one of the regular seasons. So how things are handled when rookies report in terms of testing and then also the results of the testing could then buy some time uh, before veterans report a week later to try to finalize terms and to complete negotiations. Rookies for the Texans and Kansas City Chiefs, the teams that are scheduled to play the Thursday night regular season opener on September 10th, have been told to report today. So that process begins today. The full squad reporting date for the vast majority of teams will be on July 28th. Sam Acho, NFLPA executive committee member, on what could lead to players not playing. The owners, their obligation under the CBA or outside of the CBA, their obligation is to provide a safe working environment for the players. That's their obligation. And so if they don't do that, then we, we can't play. It's as simple as that. And so if the owners don't provide, there, there's something called an either plan, pretty much a, a return to work protocol, systems in place that tell you what will happen if an outbreak occurs and what steps do we take. That, they don't have that in place. We've talked about it, but they haven't agreed to it. Um, and so what will happen is if the owners don't provide a safe working environment, Players, players aren't going to be able to are going to be able to play. Jeff Darlington also discussing how this could be lead to a divide between vet players and younger players. Well, I was talking to one member on the executive committee of the NFLPA, and he was essentially telling me, and, and this person plays in the league, and was essentially telling me that they try to keep in, in mind the entire membership, not just the vocal majority or vocal minority, I should say. And, and this person was saying that you know he has heard from players on the team at the bottom of the roster that are saying like. For example, you know, everybody assumes that no player wants preseason games. Well, these players at the bottom of the roster rely on preseason games to put essentially highlights on tape for teams to uh, either keep them on the roster or other teams to scout them. So there's a lot of players in the league that want preseason games. And the difficult part of this, to your point, is that not only is the executive committee made up of veterans, but as we're seeing the vocal people, as we saw during the CBA negotiations, are also made up of, to your point, higher-paid veterans. This, unlike the CBA, does not go to a vote. Uh, This is not like every player has a voice here. So it it does feel like, even though this person on the executive committee told me they try to keep in mind every player, that, that absolutely you're going to see those veteran older players have more of a voice 
And that's probably also the demographic and contingency that is going to be much more conservative about coming back to the field as opposed to some of those younger guys who say, I'll take the chance. I just want to make my money. Another health risk that hasn't been mentioned quite as much, but Jeff Schwartz bringing this up yesterday, uh, saying, talking about the coaches. I'll tell you what, my, the biggest concern for me is not the players. It's the coaches who are not as healthy in those meeting rooms all day that aren't in great shape. Some of them are in the age range where COVID is, is, can be highly deadly. And I'm worried about the coaches, honestly. I'm not worried about the players. Right. If the players get yeah. sick, the data shows that, look, they're probably not going to pass away, but you know, they might have health uh, concerns later. And that's what I'm worried about, too, is kind of the long-term effects of COVID. But nonetheless, yeah. the coaching staffs are what I'm worried about more than the players. Coming up on the Blitz, well, it is opening week for baseball, if you believe it, four days away from watching baseball on our screens and just five days away from the Mariners. The latest from Scott Service on how their intra-squad games have been going. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 630 Cruise alongside with you. Excited because we're just four days away from baseball being back on our televisions and five days away from the Mariners home opener Friday against Houston. Before that, we did get the unfortunate news last week that Julio Rodriguez suffered a hairline fracture on his wrist and Mike Blowers joining Tom Jake and Stacey recently to discuss Julio's injury. Wrist injury to Julio Rodriguez. Can you just, from a player perspective, describe how that affects a swing? Because this is not an injury that I don't think any of us are comfortable dealing with. Well, I, th- I think that if it's an injury to where you're trying to play through something, that can obviously be really difficult, um, especially at the level when you're talking about the major league level. Um, but for him, obviously, this is just going to shut him down. I think the thing that you worry about, um, and in today's world, th- th- that break will heal fine, but the atrophy that he's going to go through, and can you minimize that? And I think with physical therapy, they should be able to keep that to a minimum. Um, unfortunately for him, it's his second injury for him. But, you know, it's going to be an abbreviated season. There wasn't going to be the minor leagues. He wasn't really going to get a chance to play. Uh, you still hate to see the injury, but I think he'll be just fine. Um, I, you know, I – I was there when Junior slammed into the wall, and I don't think you could break your wrist any any worse than he did. And he ends up with a couple of plates and screws in his wrist and came back, and in, within a week he was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Obviously, he's special, a Hall of Famer, but I've seen a lot of guys have to deal with it. Fortunately for me, I never did. Um, but I think that because of the situation that he's in, and he's a young man, I think he should be just fine. Mike, we've we've all been around those guys that just unfortunately they just have all the talent in the world and they just get hampered with injuries. And it's it's one of the saddest things. Is more of this just kind of freak accidents or or do you start to be concerned with Julio and just is this the beginning of a of a long career of battling injuries? Obviously tough to tell, but does that cross your mind at all with this second injury? Um I think no, I, and I think because of the way that he was injured diving for a ball in the outfield, that's going to happen. And I still think about him, and he's just so young. I think it's something that the organization will certainly pay attention to. Um, but, yeah, you're right about that, Jake. There's no question there are guys that go out there, and for whatever reason, they just seem to end up being hurt all the time. I would not put that label on this young man yet. I think we have to wait and see what happens. He's so talented, and 
I think that, you know, if he was just a normal minor league guy, we wouldn't even be talking about it, obviously, but everybody has their eyes on him because he's such a great talent. But I think more than anything, he's, he's, he's going to be fine. Now, if this continues, um, I remember when Edgar was going through it, he started to get injured quite a bit, and Lou decided, you know what, we're not putting him in the field anymore. He's going to become a DH, even though Edgar didn't want to, because of his history of injury. Um, so, you know, you have options, especially in baseball, to move your way around it. But I think he's so young, I doubt they're even concerned about it right now, especially with the way this latest injury happened. What do you think about what have you – have you seen many of these inter-squad games? I, I don't know if you've been at the park or not or if you've watched a little on TV. Has anything jumped out to you? I, I haven't been to the ballpark. In fact, I'm looking forward. I'm going to be there Saturday for the game Saturday night. Um, that will be my first chance to see everything live. Um, I think it's, it's interesting just, you know, that you have different phases of guys working in and out. It's so different than anything that I've ever been around. And I'm really looking forward to getting to the ballpark and getting a chance to see that. Um, the chance to see Rick Riz there at the park too. And then we're going to have, I think our first televised game will be next Wednesday um, of an inter-squad game. So things are starting to ramp up, but I'm looking forward to it. I think the thing that I will look for more than anything else is just to see the timing of these guys and live pitching and um, what that's going to look like. Because I know for myself, um, when we first go to spring training and you're hitting against your own pitchers, um, you're just kind of working on things and there's not um, an intensity there. Then all of a sudden you switch over and you start playing other teams and, you know, it's like the switch comes on, and then it really gets bright once you start the season. And these guys just haven't had that opportunity, so I'll be curious to see what that all looks like live and, and watching a couple of hours of it. That was Blowers On with Tom, Jake, and Stacy, and you can listen to that full interview online at 710sports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. We also got to hear from Scott Service over the weekend. Uh, this was ahead of their inter-squad game on Sunday, but some questions about how they'll go about building the 40-man roster. Scott, from a mechanic standpoint, you have three open spots on your 40 man. Do you leave an open spot going into the season for a taxi squad guy that might not be on the 40 man, or do you fill the 40 man? How does that work for you guys going forward? Yeah. The, the, the build out of the 40 man, um, there's a lot of factors that play into that. And when you're looking ahead and understanding that, um, you know, there may be players out there that don't make the particular teams or have outs in their contracts and things like that. So, I know it's things that uh, Jerry and, and Justin Hollander, Joe in the front office are looking at nonstop, kind of monitoring. We can't have scouts in anybody else's camps, but you're trying to, you know, I know they're in contact with other teams. So, you know, that it creates uh, flexibility and maybe options there. If we see somebody that might be a fit for us, just from a depth standpoint, um, you know, going forward, those are things you got to keep in mind, but you know, how those last couple spots on the 40 man get filled or play out, um, you know, I'm focused right now on our 30 man, <laughs> trying to get those guys ready and, you know, let, let Jerry and Justin worry about the backside of the 40. The team will have to cut down to 28 players after two weeks and our own Shannon Dre, Mariners insider, and you can read all of her excellent work at 710sports.com. But she asked the question, how will the starters look at that time? Well, they'll almost be, you know, most of them will have three outings in. Um, so, you know, do we, do we pair back two pitchers? Do you pair back just one pitcher? and a position player. You have different ways we could go with that. Just have to wait and see how our, our rosters at that point and how our starters are throwing. You know, I'm hoping they can be built up, you know, but part of being built up is being able to, to get deep in games and holding the other team down. So are we doing a good job there? And, and overall, I've been very, very happy uh, with our starting pitching. Uh, I think it is uh, one of those facets of our team that is underrated. I, I love the way Graveman's thrown the ball. We're going to see Walker tonight. Marco was really sharp. Um, you know, Chef and Dunn were good the other day. So uh, there's a lot to like uh, in this group. And 
know, we got to get YK back, uh, you know, going in the right direction again. And he didn't maybe throw the ball as well as he would have liked the other day. But uh, I like our starting pitching, and I'm hoping those guys can get built out as quick as possible. It's great to see Marco get through four innings pretty clean last night. Because of the unique season, if starting pitchers are doing well, will the skipper let them go a little longer in games? That's the plan. Ultimately, when we get arm strength and get some volume built on these guys that because they have the extra day, you know, uh, again, and we all know what the numbers say third time through the lineup. It's always challenging. Hitters have a little advantage there. But hopefully with our guys uh, being a little bit stronger, it does give them a little bit longer leash on nights that they're throwing well. Let them go. You know, that's what we're hoping for. One guy that's looked really great out on the mound so far is Logan Gilbert. I thought Gilbert's looked great. Uh, they looked great in, in our first spring training go down in Arizona. Picked it up when we got here. The All four pitches are there. He's not afraid to throw them in any counts. Um, you know, coming back, and like you said, that at bat against Kelnick, he was down 3-0, came back and made it really good. I think it was a breaking ball or slider on the last pitch to get him. So when young pitchers start showing you um, just the, the poise and composure to come back, when they get behind in counts. But the thing with, with Logan, really from the get-go, is very confident, very aggressive. Um, he's going right after these guys uh, with good stuff in the strike zone. So uh, um, he's got <laughs> a ton of upside. I keep saying the word upside and ceiling on a lot of our young players, and, and rightly so. Uh, the sky is the limit with him. And I've been very impressed just on his demeanor and how he goes about his work in between starts. I think another thing that – noticeable to me and I hope it continues this way is you know our stars are getting an extra day that six-man rotation and how is that going to play out through the course of the season and I thought Marco's stuff last night was outstanding it was very crisp um, his breaking balls were all good the command was good Marco's going to give up a few hits you know that's what he does and but he's a pitch maker and um, I, I just thought you know he looked really fresh last night um, and, and I think you're going to see that I'm hoping you see that throughout the season with our starters, with those guys having that extra day of rest. Also, Malik Smith, a late arrival to camp, but what did Scott Service make of him on his first day out? I really was. Uh, he got after it. Uh, he was really aggressive uh, in the batter's box. His at-bats were good. Um, I thought he played well in the outfield. Uh, you know, hit the cutoff man, a throw he made in from center field. Um, so, so he looked healthy, ready to go. And it's kind of how I laid it out to him earlier when we talked is, you know, whether he's ready to go on opening night for Houston will be dictated by him and how he swings the bat here on the final days of this camp. So last night was a really good start for him. Finally, an update on outfielder Jake Fraley. Yeah, it was more of a – he didn't feel good the other day. Had a little bit of a uh, like a stomach flu type issue. Um, you know, got him checked out. Um, he's, he's fine. He came out and worked out yesterday in the early group. Um, just thought I'm going to give him another day. Um, we'll get him in there and – you know, uh, Jake hasn't had a great camp so far as with swinging the bat, and hopefully he can start getting his timing together here in the next couple of days. Coming up next on the Blitz, it's time for the hot list. We'll discuss the players uniting to create a social media blitz yesterday on Twitter and what that could mean implications for the start of training camp. Plus, also, uh, Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, saying that he's leaning towards not having any fans in the stands. Could others follow suit? It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! 
Excitement over baseball definitely building. Opening day on Thursday and opening day for the Mariners on Friday. What may be uh, an exciting time for everyone else is a time of maybe some trepidation and uncertainty for the Toronto Blue Jays, who still don't have a home stadium to play in. Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB reporter and insider on what has happened with the Blue Jays. What happened with the Blue Jays was very simple. They got allowance from the city of Toronto to play at Rogers Centre. They got allowance from the province of Ontario to play at Rogers Centre. But at the federal level, they did not get the go-ahead. And when they were told no, uh, that was the end game right there. They had been planning on it. They had been talking with players about possible accommodations and about living at the hotel that's attached to Rogers Center. So they were hopeful that this was going to happen. But public sentiment, Zubin, in Canada was strongly against the idea of having people coming back and forth, no matter how much you were going to bubble them in the stadium. The job that Canada's done containing the coronavirus, they simply did not want to open the border and make their citizens more susceptible to contracting COVID-19. So what options are there for the Blue Jays? They'll open the season against the Tampa Bay Rays, so they uh, don't have to worry about that because they'll be in Tampa Bay playing uh, them, but they do have some home games in about a week and a half. So what are the three options for the Blue Jays, according to Passon? It looks like there are three options, Zubin. Number one in Buffalo, New York, is Salem Field. Built in 1988, right before the boom in uh, retro ballparks, it was hopefully going to be a major league ballpark at one point. The problem with it is that the lighting in the outfield is substandard when it comes to making it look like a pretty TV product. And the clubhouses are small and the Blue Jays are worried about social distancing inside of that. The, the plug-and-play option is down in Dunedin, Florida, where they hold their spring training. Everything is taken care of there. They know that they have the right facility. The problem, of course, is the outbreaks of the coronavirus in Florida have been much more significant, and there's some fear over that. Uh, Blue Jays president Mark Shapiro alluded to a potential third site, wouldn't go into any details about that, but the fact is we are less than a week from opening day. We are 10 days from the Blue Jays' home opener, and like you said, Zubin, no idea where it's going to be. A lot of uncertainty facing sports this season, including the NFL, and with the NFL leaving it up to individual teams and our local municipality guidelines as to how many, if any, fans can attend games. Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis is reportedly leaning towards not having any fans in the new Las Vegas stadium this season. Davis was the lone dissenting vote on the league owner's recent decision to tarp off the first eight rows of seats from the field in each stadium and cover them with advertisements. The Raiders' idea of leaving the seats for fans and erecting hockey-style plexiglass around the bottom of the stadium to separate fans from players on the sidelines was reportedly shot down before the vote even happened. Uh, Davis told ESPN that no one fan is more important to me than any other, no matter if they paid $75,000 or $500 for their seats. Uh, they're all Raiders fans. To me, my mindset is no fans should attend games. He also said, quote, I don't even know if it's safe to play. Uncertainty is the word. Regardless of the amount of fans, if any, uh, at games, Davis said he sees three options for the NFL at the moment. Number one, to go on as planned with teams reporting for training camp over the next week and see what happens. Two, delay the start of the season until November and go to a 12-game season canceling each team's four interconference games and then cancel number three cancel the 2020 season entirely he told ESPN that 
everything is up in the air with COVID-19 and how it will affect our league and season, adding that his frustration about taking away the first eight rows of seats was exacerbated by the leagues, leaving the decision on fans to the individual teams after an offseason of what Davis called equity among teams. So upset that this decision wasn't coming from the higher-ups and that there wasn't one uniform decision. We already heard um, from locals in Philadelphia that uh, they planned on canceling large sporting events and uh, weren't planning on having any fans at Phillies games or at Eagles games for 2020. What should be the consequences for the Washington football team? We saw the story break late last week in the Washington Post. 15 former employees accusing the organization of verbal abuse and sexual harassment over uh, many, many years, 2006 to 2019, I believe. Myron Medcalf, ESPN Radio, talking about potential repercussions for Washington. He believes they should be banned from the 2021 NFL Draft. The Washington football team should be banned from the 2021 NFL Draft. They should not be allowed to make any picks. They should not be allowed to make any trades. They should not be allowed to participate in anything attached to the NFL Draft, including the Combine, in that three-day process. I think that's how you send the message, Jen. I think that's how you communicate that we are going to demand cultural changes within your organization and any other team that allows this behavior to continue in their organization, you'll face the same punishment. The league is based on basically rookie league talent, rookie contract talent. Remove the Washington football team from the 2021 NFL draft and you'll see other teams change as well. But that to me is the only punishment that makes sense. You're not going to find Dan Snyder and get him to change. You're not going to move the pieces around in that organization and get them to change. You need to hurt them from a competitive standpoint Ban them from the 2021 NFL draft. I think that's the punishment that makes sense to me, Jim. Medcalf said that uh, in terms of deterrence for you know people, future violators, uh, that he believes that this would be effective. That's the only way to send a message, not only to Washington, but to the rest of the league, in my opinion. We, we're fine with taking draft picks away from the Patriots because they spied on an opposing team or whether the ball was inflated beyond the normal standard, everybody's okay with that because they're saying, wait a minute, you had an advantage over my team and you were cheating the system in the process. That's unfair. Well, let's use the same word unfair when it comes to the women who are subjected to harassment and threats and their careers were, were jeopardized and, and all of these things they faced, the sexism that was rampant within that organization. How unfair was that, Jen? Obviously, you've experienced these things, but a bunch of these dudes were tweeting me about, that's too much. I don't care what you think. At the end of the day, it's too much that these women who are part of this organization had to face what they dealt with. So for me, take them out of the 2021 NFL draft, ban them from the entire week, don't allow them to make any trades, any signings during that three-day period, and hurt them competitively so they feel it for years to come, Jen. I think that's an appropriate punishment. John Rahm became the number one player in the world on Sunday with a v- victory in the Memorial. He watched an eight-shot lead uh, shrink to a three-shot lead with three holes to play. Then he hit what he called the greatest shot of his life, which actually turned into a bogey because of a penalty. The two-shot penalty was issued because his ball moved the length of a dimple on his chip-in behind the 16th green. And still, Rom closed with three over 75 for a three-shot victory over Ryan Palmer. 
Major League Baseball and players have been in conversation together about how to incorporate social justice elements into the sport, according to league and player sources, with the most recent conversation happening yesterday. It's unclear what form the elements will take. It could be some type of logo placed on uniforms or something shared and fronted by players. Since the killing of George Floyd on May 25th, many of the sport's Players and teams have joined the national conversation about social justice. Andrew McCutcheon, Philadelphia Phillies veteran, was among athletes and coaches who shared a byline and thoughts in a USA Today editorial back in early June. Also recently, Los Angeles Dodgers players held a Zoom call led by Clayton Kershaw to talk about racial injustice, and their discussion resulted in a video released last week in support of Black Lives Matter. Baseball mostly did not participate in the social justice conversation in sports after NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick began to kneel during the national anthem in 2016 to protest police brutality. Bruce Maxwell, a catcher with the Oakland Athletics at the time, kneeled during the anthem in 2017, but he has since said that he felt unsupported by peers and by those in the sport and baseball looking to do better now. NFL players took to Twitter on Sunday in a united effort to urge the NFL to listen to its expert guidelines on safely opening training camps amid the coronavirus pandemic, many using the hashtag WeWantToPlay. The idea for tweets came from Miami Dolphins cornerback Byron Jones, who made the suggestion on one of the players' internal planning calls Sunday, and the NFL PA said uh, that they didn't officially encourage players to tweet, but they did help and give them support when it comes to factual information, especially as to where negotiations stood between the two parties. Among the players who tweeted were Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. Russ tweeted out, quote, I am concerned. My wife is pregnant. NFL training camp is about to start, and there's still no clear plan on health, on player health and family safety. We want to play football, but we also want to protect our loved ones. Hashtag we want to play. Other players making their voice heard on Sunday. It's a who's who's list. Patrick Mahomes, Richard Sherman, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, J.J. Watt, Todd Gurley, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, just to name a few. Uh, New Orleans Saints, Michael Thomas urging Commissioner Roger Goodell to follow the example of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver in bringing football back safely. And also Cleveland Browns' Miles Garrett among a couple of players to say there might not be a season if the NFL doesn't take safety seriously. Sam Acho, NFLPA Executive Committee, on what the player's message is here. I think the message is simple without sounding sarcastic. We really do want to play. I think for the longest time, the players have been expecting to play and hoping to play. And the NFL has been really delaying in negotiations, trying to put pressure tactics to force the players to play in unhealthy and unsafe conditions, and also to take a huge revenue cut. And so I think the message you're hearing is simple. Players want to play, and so we're asking, waiting, hoping that the NFL will hold up their end of the bargain and provide us a safe working environment. The NFL PA also concerned that the NFL doesn't seem to want to listen to their own health experts in their mind. We've been negotiating with the NFL for months, for months and months. We've actually got a, a joint committee of health experts chosen by the NFL, right? And some of them chosen by the NFL PA as well. And the health experts have agreed to certain protocols that we should all follow in order to continue to play football in a safe way. And the NFL has, has said, no, we're not going to follow those agreements. Essentially is what happened. And so that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing, you're seeing the NFL ignore, completely ignore the doctors who they've uh, hired, uh, number one. And they're saying, well, you know what? I feel like two, three, two preseason games are better. So let's just throw out two preseason, preseason games, even though the doctors said no. They're saying, you know what? Let's just figure out a, a way to get out there, even though there's no um, health protocols that have been set. Just, just figure it out. It's almost like sending out the lambs out to slaughter. And, and, and we have said from the beginning, we want to play. Let's figure it out now. At the very last minute, the NFL is trying to put pressure and say, um, say that y'all are going to report no matter what. And that's not the case. 
still on the table still need to be figured out. The NFLPA's request to the NFL uh, include daily testing, no preseason games, and a ramp-up period, 21 days of strength and conditioning, 10 days of non-padded practices, and 14 days of, quote, contact acclimation once they report to camp. They feel that their proposals have been more or less ignored at this point by, by the NFL. Um, also, Sam Acho saying that they received a counterproposal from the NFL on Saturday night, but the league still hadn't addressed most of their player concerns and is ignoring the advice, according to him, of the doctors it hired to come up with and to safely plan the start of the season. Uh, Acho said the NFL needs to give players a plan for how games might be canceled or delayed because of the coronavirus outbreak and address the financial ramifications players might face, and then also accuse the NFL of waiting to apply pressure on the players instead of coming up with a plan. The We Want to Play barrage could be a precursor to the NFL PA filing a grievance over unsafe working conditions. According to the collective bargaining agreement, players who do not report to training camp could be subject to fines, forfeiture of bonuses and salary, and the loss of an accrued season. But the union is prepared to file a grievance if necessary, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Uh, what happens when rookies report will help determine if that happens. Um, how the testing process works for them, how many positive tests happen. That buys players some time to try to finalize terms before veterans report about a week later. Rookies for the Texans and Kansas City Chiefs, the team scheduled to play the Thursday night regular season opener on September 10th, have been told to report today. So that process begins now. The full squad reporting date for the vast majority of teams is July 28th, with a lot of these uh, question marks still up in the air but that begins today. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Glock coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The 2020 Mariner season is just days away. Don't miss a second of this historic season of baseball. Download the 710 Sports app to get breaking Mariners news notifications, re-game recaps, and player profiles from Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer at 710sports.com. Smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle to get every Mariners game all season long. And the Mariners take over. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, ten. There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text BOTH to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text NOW and we'll include a bottle of new Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever, to help get you back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text BOTH to 42424. That's BOTH to 42424. 424.